Well, last week I looked at some of the things that we were aiming to do as a church this year, what we're hoping uh, as a church, the kind of church we're hoping to be. And it, that was, uh, some of that was a church that loves God's word, loves God's mission, that's empowered by God's spirit and a love for God's people, his church. Uh, part of what we felt the Lord was leading us in and speaking to us last week uh, was about God calling people to jump in and get involved in the mission that God has for us here as a church. I don't know if you remember, uh, Adam brought the word about little Arthur, Tom and Sophie's little boy. Arthur was playing the plastic guitar as we were praying in the morning, and he was standing next to Jody, who was playing her guitar, and he looked up and thought, wow, I sound amazing. But actually it was Jody that was playing and sounded uh, good. But the point of it was, we felt God was saying that this isn't dependent on your abilities, uh, that he has given us all gifts and a responsibility to serve in his kingdom. So I just wanted to re-emphasize really what Adam said about membership. I would urge you, if you've been attending the church for around six months or more, uh, to get involved some way, to Certainly join a small group. We're going to relaunch small groups at the beginning of February. Um, and also maybe join a serving team. We, also, we have this membership course starting in February. And we believe church membership is important. We, we think as leaders it helps us know the flock well. And we as elders, who we believe elders lead the church, that elders take our role seriously. That Jesus was the good shepherd and he knew his sheep by name. And that as his under-shepherds, we need to know the names of who we're accountable for and who they are and what they believe. We see, as Adam said, being added in to the church in the New Testament. And membership is a, a good way of doing that. So I'd really encourage you. It's also helpful for you to know what we believe. Because you could be coming along to the church for six months or more and then all of a sudden trip up on something that you didn't realize that we believe. Where Membership is our way of just putting it all out there. Because we believe things that might, you might disagree with. Things we believe about leadership, uh, marriage and all sorts of different things that might trip you up further down the line. Where it's best just to get it all out in the open for you to see what we believe and for us to know what you believe. So I would encourage you to do that. And... I think attending a church, just attending, is a bit like dating someone for ages and never really making a commitment. And in this kind of non-committal world, we want to be different from that. We want to commit. We want to serve. And we're just encouraging you to come and be a part of this. Come and give and serve in the gifting that God has given you. You have been given a gift by God to be a part of the body. And I believe that this is for your good, for your spiritual well-being, for your spiritual growth and maturity. It is to come and serve. That does you good, believe it or not, to serve other people. It's a bit like, it's not the greatest analogy, but it's like sometimes we could come to Christ and we, like, we feel like God has given this, this pair of ice skates and we go off skating on our own and we're swirling and whirling and twirling on our own and we think this is great. But actually, I think God has given us ice skates to be part of a hockey team. He's given you these skates to be part of a team. And actually, to be separate from that is not recognizable in the New Testament. As a believer of Christ, God has given you a gift to come and be a part of a team, part of his body. We are, all, we are all different parts of the body, and I would just encourage you to do that, to come and be known by others, 
Have open your home to others. Be accountable to others. This will help you in your spiritual walk with Jesus. This will help you be more like Jesus. That's my bit, really, on membership. Um, moving on, as I mentioned last week, one of the things we want to be as a church is a people devoted to God's word. And we're going to continue in our Greater Story series. That's why we're studying the Bible. We want to understand it, uh, know the Bible more. And we believe that as we understand the Bible more, we understand the world around us more. This book really helps you understand who you are. We've been going through this series starting in September, and it, it's seeking to understand the whole story of the Bible. We believe the Bible is one continual story from beginning to end. God redeeming a people for himself. This story is something that we're all a part of, whether we're Christians or not, whether we realize it or not. And we love stories that capture our imagination, that pull us in. And when we understand this greater story, it, it grips us, it pulls us in, and it will help us understand who we are and what our purpose is. You have a purpose and a plan by God. When I discovered this for myself, my life was part of something way, way bigger than what was just going on in front of me. It gave me purpose, it gave me hope, it gave me excitement. And God wants you, he, he doesn't need you, but he wants you to be a part of his mission, and that is to bless all the nations of the earth. And you get to be a part of that. So far we've seen God creating perfection and mankind turning his back on him. God redeeming and saving humanity, and then humanity rejecting God time and time again. It begins to spiral out of control, and then God chooses to save people through one man and his family line, and that man is anyone? Abraham, very good. God tells him he's going to save the world through his family line. He tells him to teach your family my ways. Make your family into a new humanity, a new society that walks in my ways. A community of peace and justice. And through every generation, there will be a messianic seed. And someday, out of your family, out of your people, will come one person, one figure, one descendant of your seed will be the Messiah. That's what this story is all about. And as we go through Genesis, we see this family line, this kind of family tree, if you like, get grow and grow. But by chapter 25, where we'll, we'll see, begins to be quite twisted. Adam and Eve had three sons. It's a bit of a Bible quiz here. Anyone name their three sons? Shem. Very good. Cain, Abel, and Seth. That was the answer. Um, from Seth came anyone? He had a boat. Noah, very good. And from Noah had three sons. And one of Noah's sons, Shem, came Abraham. Okay, we're we following the line here now. Right. And anyway, Abraham, as you will remember, he married someone called Sarah. And they had two sons that we've read about so far called Isaac and Ishmael. Very good. Anyway, Isaac marries a, a, a woman called Rebecca. And like Sarah, she has a hard time conceiving. Isaac prays. The Lord hears his prayer, and Rebekah becomes pregnant. And Isaac, like his father, was waiting to be a father. 
And this theme of infertility really runs through Genesis, affecting Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. And it seems that God is, I think, trying to teach the patriarchs that their future blessing depends upon him. Last time out, Jeeves looked at the story of Abraham when we were in this before Christmas, of Abraham and Isaac, and Isaac being taken up the mountain where he was going to be sacrificed, where God was almost testing Abraham. And uh, Jeeves did a great job of showing the, the imagery of Christ and the cross and Isaac going up the mountain with the wood to be sacrificed, but where God provided this ram as a sacrifice on his behalf. If you missed that sermon, I would encourage you to check that out online. Jeeves did a fantastic job there. And now, Abraham, in chapter 25, has died, and Isaac is the head of the family. He's the patriarch. He's married to Rebecca, and she has twin boys. And this remarkable story happens, and we're going to pick it up in Genesis 25. So if you have a physical Bible, I would encourage you to turn to that. And we're going to go from verse 21. So, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be the stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, and all his body like a hairy cloak. So they named him Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand, holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was quiet, a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So, firstly, we see here Isaac at the beginning pleading with God for children, and so, so too with us. I think the Bible encourages us to ask and uh, plead God for our most important and personal requests, and I think God wants to grant requests that line up with his will. But he wants us to ask him, therefore having a relationship with him. And that, wasn't that great what we heard from Marion this morning? That is Marion walking day by day with God and him providing for her needs. And sometimes, like with Isaac, God withholds an answer. I think sometimes to deepen our insight into what we really need. Sometimes to grow a greater appreciation for him answering our prayer and to allow us to mature. We get to see an introduction really of the main theme of this particular story where the twins are struggling together within Rebecca. How the relationship is mostly hostile. And there, I think there are similarities in the characters of Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Ishmael. Esau's this very manly man, quite hairy apparently, uh, and you know, a real hunting outdoorsy kind of guy. And Jacob, well, he's a bit different. He's 
a bit of a mummy's boy. He is not very hairy, and he likes to stay at home. Isaac seemed to favor Esau, despite what the Lord said to Rebekah, that the older shall serve the younger. Maybe Isaac didn't believe his wife. Maybe he saw something of his brother Ishmael in him, who he may have aspired to be. We, we don't know. But what the Lord says to Rebekah about the two children's becoming nations, it meaning that Jacob will become Israel and the Israelites, and Esau will become Edom and the Edomites. And the older serving the younger is preparing us for the fact that Jacob will play a significant role in this line of Abraham. To play in the development of this family line in Genesis. Birthright was important and significant. But like with Isaac, it is God who chooses who the promise belongs to. There is nothing that can be directed or chosen by man, but by God and his own divine choosing. Let's move on. Genesis 25, verse 29 to 34. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So we're getting another insight here into their characters. Jacob is again at home, wanting to take his brother's birthright, which meaning he will be the head of the clan. He will have a double uh, portion of the inheritance. And Jacob is conniving here. His very name means deceiver. I mean, these parents named their kids, the, name, the meaning of their names is liar and hairy. <laughs> like, it's like calling, like your child comes out hairy and you think, Chewbacca, that's what we'll call them. <laughs> but he's, he's deceiving here, Jacob, really, conniving to get this thing from his brother, and the impulsive Esau returns home from the hunt, from the wilderness. He's tired and hungry, and this exchange goes on. And the food for the birthright, in hindsight, knowing the story, you'd think this was crazy. And it was lentil stew. I mean, if it was like, I don't know, steak and chips or something, or roast beef or roast lamb, you think, well, maybe, but lentil stew I mean come on but Esau's impulsive and the immediate desires of his belly were what was most important and he did not consider the long-term consequences and Esau says these ridiculous statements like oh, I'm starving I'm about to die I don't know about you but I am far from perfect and I say ridiculous stupid statements all the time and then I say them and I, I think, no, that's not really the case. Like, I will sometimes go into the bathroom in the morning and I would have just got dressed and I've got a fresh pair of socks on and I step in wet puddles on the floor. The children have been and I say, oh, there's nothing worse than getting your socks wet in the morning. Well, that's not true, is it? There are lots of things worse than getting your socks wet in the morning. 
And I think we can fall into this trap that Esau does. You know, we see something, we want it, and our first impulse is to get it. We might not sell our birthright for it, but so often we can sell our birthrights as new creations by living for passing pleasures without ever thinking about our eternal home. How often do we think about storing up treasures in heaven? If we live like we believe Jesus is going to return one day, which he is, and that he could do that at any moment, how many things are we doing with our lives right now would we be happy with if he returned? Like this afternoon, preferably after lunch. If Jesus returned now, would he and you be happy with the direction and focus of your life? Maybe, but maybe not. And so many things in life can ruin our kingdom focus. Good things that God gives us, but we turn into God things, idols, out of careers or spouses or relationships or children. All of these things are good things God has given us to bring glory to him and glorify him and lead people to him. But there is only one thing that will remain when Jesus returns, and that is his church. That is why we urge you to come and be a part of this. Or we come and urge you to give your lives for this. Because Jesus is going to return, and when he's coming back, he's coming back for the church. That's why we think things like church membership and fellowship and small groups and prayer meetings and serving and having other Christians that you open your life to and open your homes to and that you be accountable to are really, really important because he is going to return one day. Let God shape you and form you more into the image of his son. Esau says, I'm starving to death. The pressure of hunger drove his belly and that was forced him into wrong decisions. I, w I wonder what pressures you in those moments when you lose perspective, when we move into that which we're not supposed to. I often make bad decisions and say stupid things when I am tired and hungry or when I feel low or when I feel sorry for myself. You know, we think... We can tell ourselves we deserve this treat. We deserve this comfort. But often than not, but the Bible tells us we have to die to ourselves daily. We have to die to ourselves. When we deny ourselves of that temptation, that desire, we break the forces of temptation and sin. Matthew Henry says this, The gratifying of the sensual appetite is that which ruins thousands of precious souls. If we claim to be in Christ, we must be on guard. Let the lusts of the flesh become settled in our hearts and give birth to death. Or, as James says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, brings forth death. So think about where you may be most tempted where you would despise your birthright through sin and seek accountability to overcome these appetites. Or as Paul says in uh, Galatians, we need to, to be accountable to one another, help one another in this. This is why the church is a beautiful uh, thing, because it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Keep watch on yourself and bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And lastly, with Esau, despising his birthright, he did not respond to this after the event. He didn't seem to go back to Jacob and go, I I made a mistake. He didn't try to bargain for it. He almost seems justified in himself. Well, I was hungry. And it can so often be the case where people are not necessarily ruined by what they have done rather than they refuse to repent of it and stand by it. And this church is not a church full of perfect people who make no mistakes, but a place for imperfect people who know they've made mistakes, who know they need forgiveness, and know they need a saviour. That's what this church is. So let's move on. Later onto the story. We're in Genesis 27. Isaac is now very old and blind. And we pick up this story. Genesis 27. Isaac's near death. And he wants to bless his older son Esau before he dies, still choosing the way of the older son, despite the Lord speaking to Rebekah. And Rebekah's favoring Jacob, and she hears Isaac tell Esau to go and hunt, make a meal, and I will bless you. So she makes a plan. She makes a meal for Isaac uh, that Jacob can take to Isaac to receive the blessing. But there's a bit of a flaw in the plan because Jacob well, he's quite different from Esau. It's okay, he's blind, he'll never know. Well, let's see what happens in Genesis 27 from verse 11. Jacob says to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau, he's a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, listen to this, let your curse be On me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So this not so perfect plan goes on. Esau is hairy, Jacob is not. But note Jacob's objection. Not that this is wrong, but that he might get caught. They both seem to be okay to try and get the blessing for themselves. They want to do things in their own time and strength. And this blindness, I think, of Isaac is not only external with his eyesight, but it would seem he is internally blind to Esau's shortcomings. In the chapter in between this, in 27, Esau's impulse and bad choices cause damage to the family and further down the line. And there's this extraordinary behavior from these parents where Rebecca says, let your curse be upon me. That's an extraordinary statement. Let's move on from verse 14. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So he went into to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? 
He answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. And then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let the people serve you and nations bow down to you and be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Straight after this incident, uh, Esau comes in with his game and Esau and Isaac realize what has happened. But he cannot reverse what he said. On initial reading, we might read it and think, well, why didn't he just say, oh, I didn't mean that. I'm going to give it to you instead. But I, I don't think we fully appreciate about what happens to a person's word, which is binding. It is the, a contract. And he cannot go back on this. And Jacob and his mother are so desperate to get this blessing, they go through this ridiculous ruse to uh, pretend to be the beloved son. They dress him up in hairy clothing. They tried to hide in the beloved son to get the blessing. They'd already, already been told the blessing would belong to the younger son, but they were not prepared to wait. They took matters into their own hand. They couldn't wait for God, so they went ahead and did it anyway. I don't know if you've ever done that in your life. I know I, I have. However, there are consequences to Jacob's and our decisions when we do this. If Jacob had rested in the blessing to come, rather than wrestling for it, he wouldn't have had to flee for his life, which you'll find out later on if you read on in Genesis. There were other consequences, like he never saw his mother again when he fled from Esau. His brother wanted to kill him. He goes, when he flees, he goes to Laban later in Genesis and is deceived by Laban. Esau becomes the founder of an enemy nation. And this I think highlights the importance of waiting for God to work in his time and his way. Jacob was after the blessing and the blessing of his father. He was after the recognition. He was so desperate for it, he dressed up as someone else. He was pretending to be somebody else. And we all need, whether we realize it or not, external blessings. We cannot just bless ourselves despite what the world might say about finding our true self-worth within ourselves. Jacob is a picture, really, of what we are all like. We can sometimes dress up as, another, as someone else to get blessing. To, we, we can be too afraid to drop the veil of what we are really like or what's going on. And we might dress up as someone we're not to get blessings um, from, from things that we really need. We, we don't want people to see our flaws our weaknesses, and we can dress up maybe to do something, a job that we don't really want to do because it makes money, more money than we really need, or 
and it prevents us from doing the thing we really want. We might try and gain the approval of parents or, or friends or spouses. Trying to receive this blessing by maybe being a good Christian, coming to church, not admitting, you know, I don't have too many fears or worries. I'm, I'm always blessed. I'm always fine. We want people to say to us, we're special, we're amazing. But if they really knew what was going on inside the struggle that we have, we worry that we would be rejected and we want to hide. But when we get compliments and blessings, if we're doing this, it doesn't really fill the vacuum inside of us. I've found that as I've walked with God, the best thing to do is wait for things in his time, is to be open to him and open and honest with him about what's really going on in our lives. What's going on in your heart? Be open and honest with him. To look for blessings outside of God is exhausting and worthless. That only in him, only in Jesus, will you find your true self, worth and identity. We can spend our lives trying to be like the older brother, but when we come to Jesus, we, only then will we find true rest and blessing. The Bible's full of promises for us, and God calls us to trust him to fulfill them while we wait. We mustn't wrestle with God through man-made works or our own initiatives to make sure his promises come to pass in our own lives. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 25 and 32, if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He's telling us to focus our eyes on what God has done Rest in his blessing instead of trying to wrestle for them. And Jacob had a problem like we all have a problem. When the father looked at him and he saw nothing to attract him, despite his best efforts, he could not achieve the love of the father. And it was only by hiding himself in the beloved son Esau, the father's delight, the one who Isaac looked over and said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Jacob hid himself in the hair and clothing of the father's beloved so he could receive the blessing which was intended for another. I don't know if you see where this is leading us, but this is a powerful picture of how God the Father invites us in through the gospel as we believe by faith that our lives are now hidden in Christ Jesus. We don't need to wrestle for it. We don't need to try and achieve it because Jesus has took our place. He is the one that was rejected by the Father. And when he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was done. And he now invites us to come and take our place, not through deception, but through grace. By trusting in God that he will grant you all the blessings through which the gospel now lay at your feet. That you are loved and chosen by him. You are adopted into his family. You have peace with God. You are free from condemnation. You are born again of the Holy Spirit. You have received this spirit of sonship. Co-heirs with Christ. We have free and open access now to our Heavenly Father. And we have all of this because of the one and only Son, Jesus Christ. 
He dressed up. He received the curse that was due to us so we could receive the blessing. And when we believe in Jesus Christ and choose to accept him as Lord and Saviour, we are clothed like him. We cannot dress up for God to get this ourselves. We cannot pretend to be a good person before God. He knows the very depths of our soul. He knows your every thought. And God now accepts us because Jesus took our place. And when the Father looks at you, he sees the Son, the one who took your place. And we get treated as the firstborn. We get the firstborn blessing. We are all now firstborns in the family of God. Doesn't quite make sense, but this is our status in Christ. He was the one who really did what Rebecca said. Remember what she said, let your curse be upon me. Jesus said, let the curse of sin be upon me so that you can be free. And in Christ Jesus, we receive this spirit of sonship that Jacob was so desperate for. And this spirit of sonship is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit when you choose to accept him as your Lord and Savior. You may not have done that before. You may have been coming, I don't know, on and off for a while and you've never given your life to Jesus and accepted him as Lord. Now is your opportunity and you can pray and ask the Lord to forgive you. We're just going to do that for a moment. Why don't we all bow our heads? And if you want to do that for the first time, you can ask God for forgiveness and he will forgive. You can just say these words after me if you want to now accept Christ as your Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and for my sin and shame. And I choose now to put my trust in you. Will you now come and take first place in my life? And by the help of your Holy Spirit, help me follow you. Amen. This story shows us that God works through imperfect, broken people like you and me. Jesus' family tree has Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in it. And from the trunk of this family come 40 more names leading to Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born. This snake crusher that was promised at the beginning of the story has come from sinners like Rebecca and Jacob. And he came, the Bible tells us, to save people from their sins like Sandra read earlier. He has come to save you. His name means saviour. What a perfect name. Jesus, our saviour. Through Jesus, God chooses to save and bless people like you and me. You don't have to be perfect. You may have messed up, but he wants to use you and draw you in. Just like Jacob. Why don't we stand and let's pray. Father, thank you that 
you have chosen us that we are known by you you know everything about us yet you accept us as we are and then you put us on that journey of becoming more like you that you love us so much that you don't just leave us where we are but you want us to be transformed into the image of your son Jesus and I pray Lord if any of us now have sometimes just despised our birthright we've sometimes walked away from you Lord if if this is a moment for people in the room maybe that want to come back to you Lord Jesus and have that opportunity to repent Lord will you come and meet with us and speak to us Lord Jesus come and stir our hearts Lord afresh for you and Lord Enable us, Lord, this week as we go out into our different places of home and work and where we live, Lord, into schools, Lord, in colleges. Lord, come and use us, Lord Jesus. Help us know that it isn't dependent upon our own uh, perfections or our own performance, but Lord, we learn to trust in you. And I pray, let us be a people that are used by you for your kingdom and for your mission in Jesus' name. Amen.